Welcome to Horror Struck. What's up, horror fans? Welcome back to Horror Struck, a horror commentary podcast where we look at the genre through the lens of a diehard fan and of me, a scaredy cat. I am Riley Ott. I am joined by my co-host and best friend, Cecilia Talbert. This week, we took a look at the 2001 film The Others, directed by Alejandro Amenabar. Spoiler warnings for anyone who has not seen 2001's The Others. There will be many spoilers. Hey man, what's up? I got some blood taken today. Oh, who took it? What'd they want with it? Just some guy in the street. That's always happening to people. No, I, I just had to get blood work done because I have a doctor's appointment. Want to make sure everything looks good and usually they're like, why don't you go in the sun? I'm like, I don't know. Your vitamin D is low. I think the past like three or four days you've sent me videos of you just like out on a walk or on a hike or something. I have been outside, yes. Uh, something weird did happen to me today, and by weird, it happens all the time, but it happened more than normal today. And I think it's because normally when I go out and about running my errands, Michael will tag along. Doesn't happen when he's with me. It only happens when I am alone. Did a man ask if you needed help doing something that's super (laughs) easy to do? Were you at a gas station? Oh my god, I remember that. That guy was ridiculous. It happens all the time, even when I'm with Jen. Like, the other day she was just putting oil in her car, and I was sitting in the passenger seat and some guy came up and was like do you need help like she's not doing anything anyway i'm sorry what happened to you it does involve men so i dye my hair red my hair is not naturally red it is brunette just looks natural on me because i have freckles and blue eyes okay this thing happens when i'm alone in a store that i'll just be walking around minding my own business and then i see there's an old man staring at me like some people are just way too friendly so like hi how are you and then they go on with their day But it happened like three times today that old men came up to me and asked me if my red hair was real. Wait, this happened three separate people? This happens all the time. I got asked at World Market. I got asked at Marshall's. And then when I went to go into my doctor's office to like go back and get blood work done while I was waiting, the other old man who was in the waiting room asked me if my hair was red. And it's to a point where I've realized it's easier for me to just say yes than to say no. Yeah, because there doesn't need to be any follow-up questions if you just say yep. It was one of those things that I just forgot used to happen when I would go out alone. Is this like them hitting on you or just genuinely trying to make conversation or what is happening? I can never tell. And now it's become a running joke because Michael and I joked around about how we both need to find our own like sugar people so we can be sugar babies, but we have to make sure they're Canadian. So every time I would message Michael, I'm like, it happened again. He was like, did you ask if they were Canadian? Oh my God. No. There's probably like an app for finding something that specific. It's just weird. I'm out and about by myself. I don't want you to come up and talk to me. I think that's just a thing with old people though. Like they just always want to have conversations with everyone. And I don't know if it's because they're lonely or if it's just like a generational thing or what. I think it's a generational thing. Yeah, because I could see like your dad doing that and he's not a creepy weirdo. He's just very friendly. (sighs) What have you been up to? Today was my first day back out into the world, so I had to go to work. Not quarantine. Which just means I get to go back to work because I don't do anything else. Boo, work. It was fine. It's weird to not interact with anyone in person for a while and then, like, just 
throw yourself back into it, I kind of forgot how to be a real person. Oh, I know that feeling. Have you watched anything? I have sat down to watch multiple shows, and then I sit there and stare at the screen and think, there's no possible way I'll be able to pay attention to this. So I just started rewatching that She-Ra cartoon that you and I started watching a couple years ago. Oh, I need to pick it back up. I watched all the first season, and then in the period of waiting for the second season, it's more just like out of sight, out of mind. That's kind of how it was for me, and then my friend's kid really likes it. So it's like, you know what? I'll pick it back up. I remember we watched the first couple episodes or maybe the whole first season just kind of as something we thought would be goofy but it ended up being really good i want to see how that pans out yeah i remember really liking the first season I haven't watched anything worthwhile. I did watch a horror movie. So my sister Sarah, before she drove off to Wisconsin, we watched this horror movie on Shudder called Anything for Jackson. Never heard of this. It came out this year. I don't know anybody in it except the actor who plays Death in Supernatural was in it. Okay. But it was okay. We had a fun time watching it, but I don't think I'd ever go back and rewatch it. The premise is these grandparents have lost their grandchild and they want to to bring him back to life so they kidnap this pregnant lady and their goal is to like put the soul their grandkid into the unborn baby oh it got a little muddy there were a couple pretty effective scares but overall i'm still a little confused it had a pretty strong ending which was nice but very strangely paced. Yeah, I'm reading the synopsis of this now, and it sounds insane. My favorite part about watching it with Sarah was that Sarah started to get very mad. So the grandparents are like your stereotypical horror Satanist. And Sarah was just like, I don't understand. So these are people that love Satan. Wouldn't you think that Satan wouldn't want to punish them? Like he'd be like, keep on keeping on and spread the good word of my evilness. Okay, so I'm assuming that it doesn't end well for these people then. Essentially they do the ritual and it just goes wrong. But one of the funniest moments in the movie was when they realized they can bring things back to life and they bring this crow back to life. And he was like, do you think there are going to be any repercussions for bringing something back to life? She's like, I don't know. I've been doing it all morning. Oh my God. That's hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Really funny. You should, yeah, probably test it once. See if it goes bad. Not just do it a bunch and hope for the best. There's also a lot of what I would call the happening-esque death deaths in it. Like one guy puts his head into a snowplow. Oh, okay. I see what you mean by like the happening thing. Cause doesn't a guy like just throw himself under a tractor or something? The plants are like, we fucking hate you. Kill yourself. Look, fine. We will. That'll show him. Let me intrude onto this part of the conversation and let's go ahead and talk about the others. Okay. Get it? Intrude? Like, like the intruders. (sighs) That sigh. Yeah, I guess. Such a sad sigh. I like that half of our episodes just start with one of us sighing. <laughs> like, that's how you know it's time. So I guess we'll do general thoughts up top. How did you like the others? It was all right. Did you know this movie? It's not based on Turn of the Screw, which I didn't know. No, I wasn't sure if it was, so I didn't say anything about it. I found that out maybe 30 minutes ago. I've watched the entire movie. And the whole time I was like, yeah, I could see this being an adaptation. Apparently it isn't. 
think a lot of, like, gothic horror is very rooted in Henry James' work, so I can definitely see why I thought that. And even watching it, a lot of the imagery, I was like, oh, okay. So I can see how this would have come from Henry James, and then... I was like, okay, I can kind of see what Mike Flanagan took from this in what he put into the Haunting series. I was just very convinced the whole time that this was based on Turn of the Screw. I think a lot of ghost movies, they all take kind of from each other. The whole you were a ghost the whole time, I, I don't think is like that surprising of a thing anymore. Especially after The Sixth Sense. That's probably the big one. I think watching this movie, knowing part of, at least, the twist, was so funny. Like, if I had known nothing about this movie, but it came out 20 years ago, and it's just such a big part of pop culture, the crazy twist at the end, knowing it the entire time just kind of made me laugh at some of the things that the characters were doing. And the thing I really like about this movie is it reminds me a lot of The Sixth Sense, where knowing the twist doesn't ruin the movie, it contextualizes it in a different way. I almost think it's more tragic viewing it with the twist because you kind of watch Nicole Kidman's character Grace go through this whole thing of her not only realizing that she's a ghost, but realizing throughout the movie that she was the one who made her kids ghosts. Yeah, see, I didn't know that. So there were a couple of lines in the movie where I was like, I don't know what that means up until we got to the big reveal at the end. The conversation that Grace and her husband have where the dad's like, the kids told me what you did that one night. I was like, oh shit, what does that mean? What'd she do? There are lots of little hints that everyone else is kind of realizing before she does. And hints at it a lot. That time mommy went mad. I would just like to say up front, I thought Anne was such a cunt. (laughs) I I hate saying that about a 10 year old, but that girl sucked. I think it has a lot to do with her age. She was so mean to her little brother, though. He was so nice. That's siblings, believe me. Everything she did, I was like, oh yeah, Michelle and Sarah definitely did things like that to me. Okay, Ryan and I are best friends, so that was not the experience that I had. And I'm sure that as Anne grew up and she was questioning more of the world, her mother is just like, I'm a Catholic. Gaslight you, gaslight you, gaslight you. And she's getting frustrated because she's like, nobody will tell me the truth. None of this makes sense. Every time I bring up a question, you tell me I shouldn't question it because God wouldn't want me to question it. So I think she's just frustrated. I did read that the director, he wrote the film as well, based a lot of it in his childhood coming up in like Catholic schools and read that because of his upbringing, he is a now. Alejandro um, Enembar, he directed this, he wrote this, and he wrote the music for this. So this is really his baby. Wow, yeah, he may as well have just starred in it too. At the time that he filmed this, he only spoke Spanish. So he had to have a really good translator on hand. Like he wrote the whole script in Spanish and they had to translate it to English. Yeah, I saw that, that it was like the first ever English speaking film that won a Goya award, which I guess is like the big award ceremony in Spain. Why wouldn't he have just cast Spanish actors, though? They could have just done a Spanish film. Well, I think initially he had planned to make it a Spanish film, and then somebody, like the studio or something, convinced him to make it an English language film because it'll reach a bigger audience because there are more people in the world that speak English than speak Spanish. Yeah, I guess that's true. I couldn't figure out where this movie was set. This movie was set in Jersey, It's a small island off the coast of, I think it's in between England and France. 
Okay, I don't know why, but they just won't let Nicole Kidman be Australian in any movie. So the whole time I'm like, what the hell is this accent? Because it's not American, but it doesn't sound like an English woman either. I don't know what she's doing. I actually really liked Nicole Kidman in this role, I think. She plays the mom really strongly, and she's she does a good job of portraying... She's obviously still grieving the loss of her husband that she doesn't even know if he's dead or not, but she can't really talk about it. She's got to be strong. She is a very forceful presence, which I like. I don't like that she's a passive character. I like that she's very active. I like Nicole Kidman in everything I've ever seen her in. I think she's great. She was one of the saving graces in that prom movie, even though they gave her one song and it was the absolute (laughs) worst song. Should we talk about the plot of the movie? Like, the whole ass plot? The whole ass plot? Yeah. Before we ramble about every single spoiler in the movie, should we just dive into it? The movie opens with Grace. The movie has, like we said, very Catholic roots in it. And so the movie opens with Nicole Kidman's character, Grace, pretty much talking about the Bible, telling the story of the Bible. Religion and faith are going to be a big component of this movie. One of the major themes of this movie, which is ironic, is questioning your faith, because that is a big proponent of The Exorcist. And we get the credits... Alejandro does a very good job of making this movie very, not only gothic horror, but very almost fantastical. So the fact that he chooses to show the credits over images of like storybook pictures, I think is really interesting. I like that part. I just thought the pictures look cool. This movie really reminds me of a, like a very long episode of The Twilight Zone. What is it based on? I read it was based on an episode of something, but I immediately forgot. I was going to look it up. I didn't really look it up because it, it almost just seemed like he was inspired by it and then he wrote a story. I don't know what it was. I didn't look it up. No, I agree though. It could have like potentially been like a Black Mirror episode or something. It's 1945. Our lead character, Grace, wakes up from a nightmare. She also wakes up to hear people knocking on the door. So she goes downstairs and finds out that it's three people looking for work. She thinks they're answering an ad she has placed in the paper for help. She welcomes them in. She gives them a tour of the house. You get a little exposition about her talking about the fact that it's her and just the children here. And her husband, Charles, went off to war and they haven't heard anything since the war has ended. So you could pretty much assume that probably means he's dead. She says something about like he went off to war, but the war ended like a year and a half ago. So I just assume he isn't coming back. As soon as she says that, it's like, yeah, he's probably dead. This movie did not scare me at all. I didn't think it was going to. But okay, that first like after opening credits scene though, where she is just screaming, that was the only jump scare of the movie. That scared the shit out of me. I think there are effective scares in this, but I don't think they're so much as to make you jump as to like fill you with a sense of dread. So it's all very atmospheric. I feel real bad. I laughed through most of the movie. I liked it too. There was so much happening and I already kind of knew what was going on. 
some of the things that were happening. It's like, I all I can do is laugh. You guys are going to have a big surprise at the end. It is also, I think, sometimes on the schmaltzy side, so I can see why that could make you laugh. Yeah, it was just a little overdramatic in some parts. But I think that's also the gothic horror element of it. Because even though Bly is technically gothic horror, it's not anywhere near dramatic like actual gothic horror is. It's way more subtle. It's like a toned down, more modern version, whereas this is definitely more classic gothic horror. It almost was like soap opera-y, just the way that like the servants were being set up as these like red herring villains and everything they did was so (laughs) ominous and like... It was very, um, in your face. Yeah, it has a double twist in it, which I think actually really works out for it really well. I remember when I saw this back when it came out, the twist at the very end, the last twist you get, really shocked me because you get that first initial twist and you think that's going to be it, but then no. Yeah, I thought it was going to be it. That, I think, was the best part of the movie for me, though. Yeah, the reveal is really good. I like how... Amenabar, how he writes into the script things that will explain the atmosphere he wants to create. So the fact that the children are both allergic to the sun, and so it has to be dark a lot of the movie, I think is a really smart way to write in the dark candlelit atmosphere that you want. I really like that. And I really like the fact that he included that and them saying like, we just kind of learned to not use electricity and things like that. It made it seem like it was way back in like the 1800s or something instead of being 1945. Yeah. And I think he writes a lot of things into the script that I think if he hadn't would make you question it more. He also does breadcrumbs where she makes a big point of saying nobody plays the piano, so you know that's going to come into play later. There's only one part of the script that I don't think is necessary, but I feel like it's almost stylistic, and it all has to do with her husband, her finding her husband. Oh, you don't think the part about her finding her husband was necessary? I don't. We can talk about it when we get to that point. It's like a double-edged sword for me. I don't think it's super necessary. I can understand why he did it. I guess it does add another element about questioning what the afterlife is in this universe. Because I'm still not sure, and I like that they don't tell you. Well, I like that they talk about limbo so much at the end i think Anne asks what limbo is or if they were going there it's like girl you're there right now it's one of those things where they don't know if they're trapped there forever or if it's just like a way station that's true because i guess the husband could have been somewhere else and then just was a pit stop on the way to wherever he was ending up permanently yeah because at first i thought he was gonna go back to the place he was maybe haunting before but now i think maybe this was something Thing where he wanted to say goodbye before he got the chance to move on to something else. It makes you think a little bit. Yeah, I didn't really think too in depth at the time, but yeah, we'll have to talk about that more when it happens. We can uh, talk about it when uh, he comes into play. Grace informs, uh, I'm just going to call them the servants when they're in a group. She informs all her new servants about the kids' ailments and about how the curtains need to be closed and that the big thing is that when you go into a room, you close and lock the door behind you. And I think the idea is maybe this was something that just got ingrained from when the kids were little. Even though you tell a kid, like, you have to stay in here, maybe they would run off into another room. Well, I like that Grace keeps saying that, but you never see her lock the door behind her. And then she yells at everyone else when a door does get left open. Yeah, and I wonder if that is just something they didn't really catch. She does tend to do it when she's not in a panic. 
I also wonder if that's maybe a hint of, like, maybe she wasn't the... I mean, clearly she wasn't the best mom, but, like, before she snapped. When's the first time that they say the line about her going mad? Because I wrote it down really early. I didn't realize, and I must not have caught it when it came back around. It actually happens right after this, so... Grace introduces the kids to the servants, or at least I think just to Lydia and Mrs. Mills, because the gardener like goes off and he goes gardening. From there, it goes to Mrs. Mills making, or Miss Mills, I can't remember, making the kids breakfast. And that is when Anne says something about like, yeah, like mommy went mad that one day. What do you mean, Anne? What happened? Mommy went... I wonder if the servants had just been haunting the house the whole time and saw all of this happen, and that's why they knew so much about what was going on towards the end. It might just be gothic horror because it happens in this. It happens in Bly until they're, like, released. But it also happens in American Horror Story where it's, as the years go on, they just acquire more and more ghosts. So I wonder if it's just something where they might not be the only ghosts in that house, but they might be the only ones willing to go and try to wake up these new spirits because they definitely haven't been dead long and they don't make it seem like once they realize that they've been dead this whole time, a day passes and they go back into their loop. Oh, I wonder if that's what's been happening up until then though. Like it's just the realization that kind of snaps them out of it. Yeah, and they do try to be kind of nice about it at the beginning, trying to help them kind of wake up but then towards the end mrs mills is just like i'm done yeah she's so fed up she's like i'm not explaining this again i'll just show you my grave i liked her i really liked the actress that played her yeah and i think the whole point behind her motivation was that they've been dead long enough they've kind of accepted it they're gonna have to live with the living essentially like they're gonna have to there's a quote about it where like the dead has to mix with the living but i love all the little hints that could seem like they happened in real life, but were actually just results of them dying and becoming ghosts. Like one of the big things at the beginning is that their other servants just left one night without any word. And it's not because they left, it was because they died. So the mother and the kids, they died. And so they couldn't see the living anymore. Oh shit. And so they didn't disappear. They just weren't able to see them anymore. I didn't put that together until right now. I guess I thought they were actual living humans and Nicole Kidman and the kids just like haunted them without realizing it and they left. But yeah, they can't see the living. They're talking about World War II. So I think they've only been dead for a few weeks, maybe a month. So this must have been the first family that moved in after them. That's like haunting them, quote unquote. Oh, like Victor and his family must be the first? Yeah. And I think it's really interesting, at least in the groups of people, you see three a lot, which is obviously a holy number, like the Holy Trinity. So there's... I thought it was the devil number. Is it the holy number or the devil number? It's the holy number. Like the Holy Trinity, I mean. But it's the devil's hour? There's too much to keep track of. Well, I think three is sometimes used as they say demons use three because they want to pervert the number. But three is like a holy number, like the Holy Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So you see three with Nicole Kim and her kids. You see, you see three of the servants arrive. And then later, there's Victor and his two parents. I just think it's interesting. I think it just has to do with the theme of religion. Yeah, being rooted in Catholicism. Mrs. Mills makes breakfast for the kids. You do get the mommy went mad hint from Anne. Her and her brother fight a little bit. They squabble a little bit, which is fine. They're kids. 
No, Anne's super mean. Anne sucks. Anne reminds me a lot of, oh my god, what's her name from Interview with the Vampire? Oh, Claudia. Yeah, trapped. It's really sad because Anne is never going to get older. She's trapped in this perpetual 11-year-old state. It's kind of sad. Oh, that is really sad, especially later when she's wearing that dress and she's like, I look like a bride. Like, oh shit, you're never going to be older than nine. Yeah, it is sadder in retrospect because you're like, you'll never be a bride. Also, Catholic religion's weird. (laughs) The Catholic religion is weird? What do you mean? They're against child brides? I never really put that together that I'm like, yeah, communion dresses look a lot like little bridal dresses. That's weird. I didn't know that you had to wear a special dress for your first communion. I'm not Catholic. I don't remember what the boys wear, but the girls wear white dresses because you're like pure and innocent or something. Gotta make yourself pure for the Lord. I don't like that. Don't say it like that. (laughs) All right, so... What's the Lord gonna do to you? From breakfast, we go to the scene where Grace confronts Mrs. Mills about the fact that she did not come to the house because of the ad because Grace attempted to mail a letter out. It's been five days and it hasn't been picked up. Had they only been dead for five days? Well, or maybe the mail carrier knew that this family had died, so he was like, yeah, I don't need to go there anymore. So he's not going to pick the mail up, so that's another hint. So yeah, who knows when the last time someone was even at the house was. Mrs. Mills essentially gets out of it by saying, you know, we used to work here before, usually big houses like this do need help, so we were just gonna come by and see if you were hiring, essentially. I can't remember if Grace or Mrs. Mills says it, but there's a really beautiful quote. The only thing that moves here is the light. Are you trapped in a time loop if you're a ghost? Or does time keep moving and you're just a ghost? I don't think they're trapped in a time loop. I think they're just trapped in that plane. So next, Grace, Anne, and Nicholas have like some sort of Bible study and they have this whole conversation going back and forth. They talk not only about how evil it is to lie about Christ, but about what happens when you die and about the different limbos you go to. Apparently there's only four different versions of hell. What is the children's limbo, Anne? One of the four hells. Which are? There's the hell where the damned go. Then there's purgatory. Yeah. And the bosom of Abraham where the just go in limbo, where children go. At the centre of the earth, where it's very, very hot. That's where children go who tell lies, but they don't just go there for a few days. Oh, no. No, they're damned. Forever. What's the difference between purgatory and limbo? I'm not 100% sure about this, but I think limbo you can't get out of, whereas purgatory is essentially like you're serving your time to get into heaven. So like, you weren't bad enough to, to go to hell, but you're not good enough yet to go to heaven. You're essentially serving out your time until you do like enough good deeds or you repent for your sins, so you're pure enough to get into heaven. It's the medium place. It's Mindy St. Clair's house. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, so it is getting more into the religious themes. It definitely shows you how staunchly religious Grace is and about how this is becoming a point of contention between her and her daughter because her daughter is getting to the age where she's starting to question things and Grace does not like that. Do you think that they're stuck in this limbo and it's all Anne's fault because she is starting to question her faith and now she's stuck in child's limbo and drag them all down with her? What? I'm pretty sure it's probably (laughs) something to do with the mom killing them. No, it's Grace's fault. Or wait, that is Grace. What's her name? It's Anne's fault. No, it is Grace's fault. You're right. Yeah. How ironic this 
devoted Catholic woman is murdering children. Get it together, Grace. I think this is also the first time you hear hints of there being some sort of other presence in the house. I think Grace brings it up. Or not Grace. Um. Oh my god, you've got me doing it. Uh, I think Anne brings it up. She talks about hearing something in the house or something like that like it gets to the point where grace decides to separate the two kids oh i don't remember that i know in the next scene i think the mom starts to hear a kid crying but it's neither of her kids she decides to separate them so they do their own bible study by themselves so Anne says goodbye to, to Nicholas and it's like, the rosary will protect you. Also, I find it very funny that I meant to write rosary in my notes, but I wrote rosemary. You know, that sounds right. It's a very strong spice. It'll protect us all. Just with the effect of Grace leaving Nicholas alone, like her just leaving the room, the whole atmosphere of the movie shifts. And that room is immediately creepy. And I don't know how he accomplished that, but it was so effective for me. Oh, I didn't notice. What do you mean? When she was there, the room did not seem scary. She walked out of the room and Nicholas is there by himself and I just went, ooh, can like feel, feel the scary vibes coming off of this room. Like just this feeling of dread. That kid just seemed so scared of everything already that maybe I didn't notice it because he just looks like he could burst into tears at any second so I may have just been focusing so much on that that I didn't notice that anything else had changed. For me there was such a shift in the atmosphere that I was like whoo it was immediately noticeable for me. I thought it was really well done. That's kind of cool too because they do make a point to say that Nicholas is basically just really scared to be left on his own. Yeah. So just visually drilling that into your head more when he is left alone by his mom and sister is kind of cool. From here, Grace and Miss Mills, Grace learns that Lydia is mute, but she doesn't learn why. Mrs. Mills does not tell her. Yeah, they don't want to tell her why. Grace hears cries, so Grace thinks that Nicholas is crying, so she runs in to see if he's okay and he's fine. And then she thinks, oh no, it must have been Anne. So she runs all the way back. She goes in the room with Anne, and Anne is fine. That's when Anne talks about Victor for the first time. That it wasn't her making the noise, it was Victor making the noise. Grace doesn't believe her, and then Grace is immediately pissed because she looks over and one of the doors is cracked open, so it's not even shut. So she's pissed at the servants. Well, isn't it also the middle of the night? Or do I just think that because it was so dark all the time? I I don't think it was night at that point, because I think the idea is the kids do, for the most part, sleep at night, so they have to have all the curtains up to block all the light out. Okay. You see Grace in the light a lot, whereas the kids are in the dark a lot. I mean, it's kind of hard to tell because everything is pitch black all the time unless the kids aren't in the scene. So thinking back on it, trying to remember like what time of day it was, I'm kind of lost. She confronts Lydia and Mrs. Mills. Mrs. Mills was like, I'm the only one who has a key and I was with you. Like essentially around that time. Oh yeah, and she's like, are you implying that I did it? And then they have dinner. They talk more about Victor. Says that she doesn't think that Victor is a ghost. And she is correct. Okay, why can Anne see these people, but no one else can? My guess is that, like, if Nicholas wasn't so afraid, he could probably see them. There's a scene where it's Anne talking to Victor. Like, Nicholas just closes his eyes and refuses to look. I think Nicholas doesn't see it because he's afraid. Grace doesn't see it because she's in complete denial. But Anne can see them because I think she partly remembers. I think she does remember probably getting smothered, but doesn't remember actually 
actually dying from it. Yeah, it seems like that's definitely it, especially if she brings it up to her dad later on. Yeah. And it's the whole, like, creepy kid thing. Like, I guess since kids are more likely to see ghosts, maybe a kid's ghost is more likely to see alive people? I guess so, because at the end, Victor definitely sees all of the ghosts, so maybe it's just the same thing in reverse? I think the theory behind kids seeing ghosts is that when you're first born, the, like, the veil between the living and the dead is really thin. When you're young, you can see ghosts because the veil is thin for you, but then as you get older, that thinness goes away. Kids, man, they creepy. I also like the fact that the kids both look alive and dead. Dude, they look super dead. They're so pale and so creepy. The fact they gave them a disease that makes them pale, I think works for the movie because you see them and you don't think ghosts, but knowing the twist, you see them and you go, ah, ghosts. Yeah, I don't think I ever put that together while I was watching, even though I knew that that is the twist. I just kept thinking like, God, these kids are so pasty. That really sucks that they can't go in the sun. Same could be said for me, though. Same. That's why my vitamin D is always low. Yeah. Just take vitamins. You don't have to go in the sun. I do like the sun. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, overrated. I'd be okay having this weird kid disease. I think the number one thing I like about this movie, it just popped into my brain, but I like that you not only see everything from kind of the ghost sides, but it lets you sympathize with the ghosts. So normally in horror movies, especially ghost movies, for the most part, the ghosts are kind of antagonistic, but they kind of flip the script. They make you sympathize with the ghosts without realizing it. And it's the people that are alive that are antagonistic. I don't think I sympathize with these ghosts at all. I didn't like them for the most part. I like Nicholas. Oh, I like them. I think their story is tragic. I like Nicholas and I like um, the servants. That was it. I think Nicole Kidman's performance was great. I just wanted to punch Grace most of the time. Yeah. That's also interesting because your protagonist, until you learn the twist, you're pretty much following her. And so even if you don't like her, you're kind of siding with her because she's trying to keep her kids safe. So you don't realize until the very end of the movie that the character that you've been kind of following and at least sympathizing with a little bit is actually is the real antagonist of the movie. She's the reason everything is happening. Yeah, it's hard to sympathize with her trying to keep her kids safe when she's the reason they're dead. Yeah, but you don't realize that until the end. Yeah, I know. I think the next scene's when Victor and Anne are, like, talking, and she's just like, hey, touch my brother's face so he knows that you're real. Anne and Nicholas share a room, and it's late at night, and Anne is talking to quote-unquote Victor, and Nicholas is like, you know, essentially he doesn't believe her. He's like, stop it. It's not real. Then the curtains move on their own. That's creepy. They play the scene almost as if you could believe that Anne is making it up, because when you hear Victor speak, it does kind of sound like Anne, and she's facing away from the camera and then when you see the hand touch his face you can't really tell if it's Anne's hand or not hand or not yeah and it seems like something that she would do just from the seems like something my sister michelle would do oh my god well i like your sister michelle a lot more than i like Anne. but you're right it does seem like a dumb prank that michelle would have played 
and gets punished for quote-unquote lying because she refuses to say that Victor isn't real and for scaring her brother. So she's made to like stand in like the foyer and just read the Bible or something. Yeah, she just had her stand in the corner reading the Bible loudly so that she could hear her from the other room. What a weird punishment. Well, you know, religious. You learn that Anna's going on day three because Anne refuses to say that Victor isn't real. Mills is like, you should stop punishing her. Three days is a lot. And she's like, no, not until she stops lying. Grace asks Mills to tell Lydia to stop running upstairs because she keeps hearing her run back and forth upstairs and it's really hard for her migraines. (laughs) Mills leaves and then the noises happen again. And Grace is about to be like, god damn, Lydia looks out the window. Lydia's outside talking to Mills. So there is a stranger upstairs running back and forth. Yeah, they're being pretty rowdy. Grace freaks out, reasonably so. And after Anne tells her what room they're in, you get this creepy shot of this door with the light on. Or I guess not the light on, I guess the curtain is open. So that's bad. Grace runs upstairs and you get a spooky scene where it's a bunch of furniture with white sheets on it. She hears whispering and just starts to panic. She thinks there's someone hiding under the blanket. So she starts to pull the blankets off and she pulls one off like a wardrobe that's got a mirror on it and sees the door behind her close. I just keep thinking if I were the living people in that situation and I was standing in that room and suddenly all the sheets were just flying off of everything, how terrifying that would be. They must be pretty terrified. You do find out they have brought a medium in later. Mm -hmm. she runs out of the room trying to chase who she thinks is a stranger in her house doesn't see anybody and says that there were three of them grace gets all the servants together because they need to search the house essentially yeah i like that that's when she finally believes her now you have to let her out of this punishment yeah she's gotten to a point now where she's like okay there is somebody in the house and anna's so much like i told you so i was not lying (laughs) and shows them all a drawing that she's made because of course creepy kids gotta draw creepy things i think it's of four people and she's also written down the numbers of times that she has seen them and the person she has seen most is the creepy ass old lady i like the old lady this is probably how a child would interpret this old lady but the way she's drawn you think there's a creepy old demon lady in the house she drew her like that picture of the like drawing of the blair witch yeah a little bit i think it was just the hair As they search the house, Grace finds all the death photos, which is delightful. Why did people used to do that? That's so creepy. Like, I know you want pictures of your loved ones, but I don't want a picture of their corpse. Well, I guess the reason they would do it is because pictures weren't common, and so sometimes that would be the only picture they would have. I think the ritual went out of fashion once photography became more common, and it it was expensive, so it wasn't anything that you're like, let's get the family together and go down and get our portrait taken. Should we bring it back though? Should we just start taking pictures of dead people? Also in the death pictures, I think one of the producers, is it like the, he took a death photo? Oh, it's the director. Yeah, they both did, which I thought was fun. They made him look real dead. I believed it. Back in... 1800s if your loved one died and you didn't have any pictures it was common that you would take a picture of them of their dead body before they were buried but you would make it look in a way that they were still alive so like asleep very strange i know they used to do it for kids i guess i just didn't realize they did it for people of all ages yeah creepy no matter what 
It is, of course, Mrs. Mills that explains what the book... Oh, she calls it the Book of the Dead, which I think is also what they call one of the books in the Brendan Fraser mommy movie. Oh, I've never seen that. I've heard it's good. It's good. It's a little hokey, but I like it. It's fun. You find out that Mills, Lydia, and Mr. Tuttle had all worked at the house previously and she kind of skirts over the fact that the reason that they like left the house i think she said that though they're like yeah we worked here but then we got out of here because we didn't want to get tb yeah she said there was a bout of it that like spread through the house yeah she's like that's why we left like you mean left as in drop dead in the house and now you're stuck there forever and she also says that lydia wasn't born mute she just stopped talking one day and then she once again doesn't say why Lydia has stopped talking. Well, and I think she's kind of like, yeah, she stopped talking after the TB thing, which you could assume like, oh, she probably got it and something went wrong. I don't know if that, does that fuck up your vocal cords? It still seems foreboding. Thought maybe she was trying to make like Grace stop asking about it because she doesn't want to answer. But she does know why. She doesn't. It is for an upsetting reason. Yeah, so you get lots of breadcrumbs to what is actually happening, which is why I think the rewatch knowing the full twist is really interesting. I didn't know that the servants were ghosts too when I went into it. I figured it out probably a couple scenes before this though. I knew both of the twists, but I had forgot that they were revealed so separately. I thought it all came out all at once. So that was, that was interesting. Yeah, at the end, I was like, wait, did I get the twist wrong? Because they reveal that the servants are ghosts, and then they wait a good chunk of time to be like, hey, uh, bitch, you're a ghost too. And then she has a good old cry, I think outside of her kids' rooms, because she's sad about the fact that her husband is dead, probably. And she hears someone playing the piano. Oh yeah, I forgot that uh, Anne mentioned earlier that Victor's dad is a pianist. Yeah. I really like this scene. I think this they do this scene really well. It's so well shot because she goes down, you're hearing the music, and then as soon as she puts her hand on the handle to turn it, the music just stops. <laughs> That's creepy. She goes inside, doesn't see anybody, but notices that usually there's like a cover that goes over the keys if you have a really nice piano. That is open. I think you had seen her shut it earlier. So she goes over and shuts it and then she locks it. She opens the door and she just kind of looks at it and slams shut. And so she opens it again, almost like she's trying to debunk this weird slamming door. And then it just slams right in her face. And she knows there's somebody in the piano room. She can't get the door open because the door has locked itself. Mills unlocks the room and they go inside and the piano is open again. And at this point, Grace is like, what the fuck is happening? Did you like this scene? I did. I like this scene and I also like that Mrs. Mills knows what's going on and she's like, God damn it, Grace, stop haunting these people and tries to just like calm her down. I like when they gaslight her at the end. About everything, the whole time. Grace is finally at the point where she's like, okay, there's something in this house. She doesn't think it's like a stranger in the house. Thinks it's like a ghost or spiritual. And Mills agrees with her. She's like, yeah, I think you're right. I think I think there is something in this house. And then I think she says like, it's pretty common that the living mix with the dead. Oh no, but she didn't realize that she was the dead. There's a lot of breadcrumbs that the first time you see it, you think that they're talking about ghosts in the house. And then when you rewatch it, obviously you're like, oh, they're the ghosts. Yeah, I really wish I could 
could have gone into this movie with fresh eyes, not knowing the whole twist. I feel like that took a lot away from it. I think the second time around, you don't get the shock of the twist, but I think it's a really interesting from the standpoint of, yeah, I guess if ghosts were real, maybe this is how they interpret the world. We view them as ghosts and they view us as ghosts because they can't really see us, but we affect their space and they affect our space. Wow, I did not need to have an existential crisis today, but now I'm going to. Am I a ghost? Maybe. Fuck. You've left your apartment. She can't leave her house, so it's different. I don't know why I said apartment. I meant to say house. I don't know where I am. It's because I'm a ghost. Grace also has a, she's having essentially a faith crisis because apparently the Bible says that ghosts aren't a thing. Does it flat out just say, and hey, ghosts aren't real, but the Holy Spirit is real? Yeah, I think so. Because I think the concept is you go to heaven or you go to some version of hell. You don't stay behind. The hell is the Holy Spirit then? Is that not a ghost? I still don't get the Trinity. I was raised Catholic and it still doesn't make any sense to me. So Grace has pretty much accepted that there is something in the house and that she should probably get her local priest to come and like bless the house. You do get a creepy scene where it's Mills and Tuttle and she's like, make sure to cover the gravestones or make sure the gravestones stay covered. Yeah, in the middle of the movie, they really just wanted me to start believing that the servants were bad guys. If the um, point of view you're supposed to be taking from this movie is Grace's, I mean, I guess that makes sense that they, they are viewed in an antagonistic light because they are antagonistic to the fact that she probably doesn't want to come to terms with the fact that she killed her kids. Yeah, that's true. She doesn't want to face reality and they're kind of just forcing her to do so. I do really like the production design for this movie. The fog is very effective. That was one of my favorite shots. There's a lot of like really beautiful shots. I could screen grab it and frame it. It's so pretty. That would make a cool painting. This grace and all that fog. Oh my gosh. So the cinematographer for this movie, I have no idea how to pronounce his last name. I assume he is probably Spanish also. Aguirre He's super notable. He's worked on like a ton of stuff. My favorite of his credits are he was a cinematographer for Thor Ragnarok. He worked on Blue Jasmine. Oh, okay. And he also did the second and third Twilight movies. (gasps) Good for him. Wow, this is a very bizarre list of films. Yeah, he's just kind of worked on a little bit of everything. Grace wanders through the fog. She starts to get lost in it. And then who walks out of the fog? Who? Charles. <gasps> Charles. Her dead, undead, went to war husband. I don't know how to phrase it. She thinks at this point that he is alive and that he has just finally made his way home. But he also seems very disoriented when she finds him. He says he's looking for like the front. So like he's heading towards battle. And she's like, no, 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 the war is over. Oh, shit. He probably meant he was walking into the light and finally was making his way to heaven and she dragged him back out of it. Damn it, Grace. So this is the part of the movie that I think the reason that her husband comes back is almost like a springboard to also make her realize that something is wrong quicker than what is happening. I don't know if him being in the movie is is necessary. I think it's interesting and I think it makes you think about in this universe, like how does the afterlife work? But I don't know if his presence there is necessary. What do you think? Do you think it was even really him? I think it was. And the reason I think it was him is because of the interaction he has when he sees his kids. Well, also, if it was just Grace kind of manifesting it, I don't know that any of the other people would be able to see him and they all could. 
I don't know. I do think it's him, but why is he there? Is it something that Grace willed him? Maybe he was stuck somewhere else and she willed him into coming into her, like, prison limbo? Maybe. Or is it something where, if you believe in purgatory, he had repented for his sins and he was gonna start heading towards whatever's next but stop to say goodbye to his kids i don't know the way that it's set up in the movie though it does just seem like it's for convenience to get grace back to the house and out of the woods because otherwise she would have just been wandering around out there forever trying to find her way to the church yeah i almost wonder if he hadn't shown up maybe she would have gotten lost and never made it back to the house like she would have been wandering forever so maybe him being there he's like no 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 ghost wife you need to go back home and take care of our children. Yeah, it almost seems like the writer wrote himself into a corner and was like, I need to find a way to get her out of the woods somehow. We keep talking about her dead husband. I guess I'll just bring him back for two scenes. And then we can get that super creepy line where Anne's like, hey, dad, did you kill anyone? Oh my god, you're out of nowhere. He is back for 20 seconds. And she's like, daddy, are you a murderer? Valid question, but ease up a little. I mean, I guess one of the only reasons I could see that Charles comes back into the picture is to make Grace question her faith even more. So when she does come to realize she's dead, she's like, what? what is this? I don't know. I don't know. I guess you could really interpret him in different ways. You just bringing this up is like flooded my mind with thoughts about it. But it makes me wonder if he's another reason that Grace will for sure accept that she is dead. Because I'm sure in the back of her mind, she knows that Charles has been dead this whole time. Yeah, because that's immediately what I assume too, is if he never came back from war, he would have been back by now if he was a POW. So the fact that he's not back just means that he probably died. Poor guy. I mean, it's sad. And there is a touching moment between him and the kids because they, they all hug and it's really touching. And then, yeah, they got that weird thing where Anna's like, you murder anybody, daddy? No, talk to your mother about that. For most of the rest of the time, and he's not in the movie very much longer, but he is very despondent. So he does seem kind of like a lost soul. They have dinner and Charles stays in his room and they all talk about where you go when you die. So they have another conversation about that. And then Anne brings up, she brings up the intruders again. Is this the part where they're talking about Limbo again? But Anne's basically like, nah, Limbo's only for kids who haven't been baptized. And I've been baptized, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, this might be that moment. Yeah, she's like, I'm not going to Children's Limbo because I've been baptized or something. Yeah, she's basically like, hey, stop trying to scare me with it because this is the loophole. Grace gets mad and essentially tells her to leave, no dessert. And runs into the kitchen, like, crying. Mills stops her and just lets her know, like, hey, you know what? I've seen the intruders, too. I know they're real. I've seen them, too. Huh? Yes. Then why don't you tell my mother? Then maybe she'll believe me. That thinks your mother doesn't want to hear. She only believes in what she was taught. But don't worry. Sooner or later... She'll see them. Then everything will be different. 
So very foreboding. It just makes me think that Mrs. Mills wants to murder everyone in the house. They do make them all seem like murderers or cultists. Well, especially when she's like, hey, Mr. Tuttle, go hide all the graves. <laughs> yeah. Have you guys just been murdering people since you got here? What is going on? After this, the servants, they do have a little more chit chat. I think they talk about, you know, like, when are we when are we supposed to tell them? And Mrs. Mills is like, not yet, essentially. And then you get probably the iconic scene from this movie, which which is Anne in her communion gown. She makes that sad statement where she's like, I look like a bride. And I'm like, you'll never be a bride. That's sad. Poor Anne. Grace leaves Anne alone for a minute because she wants to go check on Charles. Anne finds this creep marionette puppet and sitting on the ground playing with it. Do we think Charles is despondent because this is pretty much his last goodbye to his family and he knows he's never going to see them again? So maybe he's just trying as hard as he can to stay in that one place before he's like called off. Oh shit, maybe he's like, if I just don't move, then I can't go anywhere. I don't know. Wouldn't you want to just make the most of the time that you have with them though? Unless maybe like he was the one who put the effort into going there and like every second is either painful or taking a lot of his own mental strength to stay there. Or maybe he just didn't want to be there at all. So now he's like, shit, I'm super depressed that I have to come back here. I just wanted to go to heaven now. I don't know. There's a lot of questions about Charles in general. Also, I love that Charles is played by the ninth doctor. When I looked up who else was in this movie, he was like the second person listed. He's not in the movie until an hour into it. I just kept sitting there waiting. I was like, where's Chris? I'm so excited. Where is he? And he shows up to just be this depressed war veteran. Oh, like all war veterans. He is great in this movie, though. Grace doesn't really get any response from her despondent husband, so she goes back to Anne. And when she goes in, this is the infamous scene. She goes in, she sees her daughter sitting on the floor, but she notices almost right away that the hand that is playing with the marionette is that of an old lady. (gasps) It's not her daughter. Yeah, it's real creepy. You see this old creepy lady with white eyes, and she's like, What have you done with my daughter? Are you mad? I am your daughter. (gasps) Yeah, it was sort of weird to have it be that little girl's voice still, but it just be an old creepy witch lady. I think it works. Especially the old lady has almost like this smile on her face. She looks so fucking creepy. She looked fine. But it makes sense because apparently she's been possessing this old medium since she's been there, so that makes sense. I think she looked fine. She just looked like an old lady with cataracts. She looked like my great grandma. Probably just startling when you, you know, think it's your 10 year old daughter there and it's not. That's true. If I were in that situation and I were expecting to see a little girl and it was just some old ass lady i'd be thankful because ann sucked i'd be like yeah i traded her in (laughs) i traded up Uh, maybe grace does the most reasonable thing she can think of which is i'm gonna shake the old out of my daughter (laughs) so she runs up and she shakes her goes where's my daughter and she rips the veil off her head and it's ann and it's like oh my god mom calm the fuck down oh ann is pissed it escalates so quickly like because mrs mills is outside the door and i'm pretty sure she's just yelling like she wants to kill me Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Yeah, looking back on, because I didn't know the twist that Grace did kill them at the time. Now that I'm kind of putting that together, that kind of ties everything together. Grace goes 
and starts to change her clothes and she's talking to Charles who is essentially like hey you know Anne was just up here and she's really upset she told me about the thing you did and Grace is like didn't mean to just like shake her like like an hour ago or whatever and he's like no 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 not today then what you did then essentially he's like not this the other thing I wonder if maybe the reason he is so despondent is because maybe he knows he's dead but he knows that his wife and his kids don't know they're dead yet and so maybe that's just really really sad for him would he have assumed that when he showed up though probably because it seems like for the most part like the ghosts can't really see the people who are alive or it's very shoddy no i mean would he assume that they thought they were alive still because i'd show up and i'd be like oh shit you guys are dead too let's pack up and get out of this house charles is a very confusing character to me yeah the more i think about it the more i think maybe they shouldn't have included charles i don't know he's fun to talk about though it makes you think. Charles says he's gonna go back to the front and Grace like freaks out about it. She's like, I don't want you to. And then they have sexy times and then she wakes up and and he's gone. Yeah, he's just like, hey, I'm going back to war. Okay, Charles, the war is over. I'll distract you by having hot ghost sex. Apparently it didn't work because he still left. Then the movie really picks up. The kids wake up. Anne realizes there are no curtains on the windows. I am in direct sunlight. She starts screaming. The mom like runs in, realizes there aren't any curtains on the windows. She like throws her robe over them. She's trying to take them in a separate room and all the curtains are gone in every room of the house. She eventually gets them into a room, puts blackboard against the window to block it out. And she immediately goes to the servants. It's like, who the fuck took the curtains? This is not funny. This is where the gaslighting of the servants just reaches a boiling point. They know the kids are dead. Sunlight's not gonna hurt them. They're not freaking out. They're like, it's gonna be fine. Don't worry. I'm sure the curtains will, will, like, show up somewhere. I think Mills even says, like, yeah, the sunlight would have hurt them before, but now... Yeah, she's like, that was then. Maybe they recovered? You should probably test it out. Go toss them in the sun. One of my favorite characters of this movie, and I think it's because because he doesn't really seem to fit into the movie is Mr. Tuttle. He just kind of like bumbles around. <laughs> I don't think he's in it enough. He's so funny. I have never seen a ghost care less about the fact that they are dead. Just goes about normal life like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever Mrs. Mills says, he's like, all right, yeah, sure. That's so bizarre to me. Like if I were a ghost, I feel like I'd stop going to work. I'm not getting a paycheck anymore. I can't buy anything. What do I need this money for? But I think the dude who played Mr. Tuttle was really funny especially in that scene. His choices I don't think fit the theme of the movie, but I do enjoy his performance. I just enjoyed this entire part of the movie, and I know that it's not supposed to be funny, but I couldn't stop laughing just from beginning to end when the kids are, like, sitting there not trying to do anything. They're just sitting there screaming. They really crank the menacing on the servants. They really do not want you to see the last twist of the movie, which is finding out that everybody is a ghost. So they really crank crank the menacing on them. So it's it's like a distraction technique so that none of your focus is on the fact that, you know what, if these kids are really allergic to sunlight, as bad as they said, they were probably in the sunlight for a good decent amount of time. Why aren't they reacting? Yeah, how long would it take before the sunlight woke you up? Probably at least a couple minutes. And Grace says that they can only be in the sun for a few seconds before they start getting like blisters all over themselves. So Grace is done putting up with the servants. She fires them and makes them leave. And at this point, 
point, Mills is like, you know what? I'm fucking done trying to be nice to help these ghosts realize they're dead. Mr. Tuttle, you better go uncover the gravestones. I like that their breaking point, though, was when Grace gets a gun out and chases them out of the house. And they're still so calm. They're just standing outside the door and they're like, are you sure you want to do this? Well, and I'm wondering if the reason that they wanted to wake them up so nicely was because of the fact they're like, we're going to have to fucking live with these bitches for all eternity. Let's start off on a good foot. Right, like you don't want your new roommate to have a big grudge against you right from the start. Grace goes to look for curtains. The kids are kind of done being in the room. Anne's like, I'm gonna go look for dad. The kids sneak out of the room down like a drain pipe. Anne finds the gravestone. And at the same time that she realizes that, oh fuck, these servant bitches be dead. Grace is upstairs in Lydia and Mill's room and finds a dead photo, which is of the three of them. So they are dead. The scene where Anne realizes that the servants are ghosts and her and Nicholas are shouting about it right in front of them was so funny. Mrs. Mills, please don't tell Mommy we've run away. Don't speak to them! Why? They're dead! What? They're ghosts! Please come here! Oh my god, the fact that Nicholas wouldn't just come, she's like, come here right now, and he's like, no. And she's like, no, dude, they're ghosts. Just shouting across the lawn at him. And the ghosts just aren't even reacting. They're just like, uh-huh, yes, we are. Thanks for finally figuring it out, you idiots. Yeah, they're just like slowly um, Michael Myers walking towards the kids. They run back to the house and Grace gets them inside and locks the door and the servants are just kind of standing on the outside. For some reason, when that happened, they're just all standing at the door. I expected them to just go full ghost mode and like float through the door. Like, I'm glad they didn't go for that effect. And so kind of after a little back and forth, Mills tells Grace that, you know what, the intruders, they already have your kids. And if you want them back, you better go talk to them. This is the big reveal of the movie, which is Grace runs upstairs, opens the door, and there is a seance happening. This was my favorite part of the movie. This part was really cool. It's so good. It's so well done. Because even the way they film it, you just know right away, like, oh, fuck, they're the dead ones. Yeah, even going in knowing the twist, I really enjoyed this scene. Yeah, this scene is like chef's kiss. It's beautiful. It's so well done. It's so well paced, so well shot. Not only Grace, but also the kids coming to realization that they're all dead is just like heartbreaking, but also just like so powerful. Oh, dude, those kids screaming, we're not dead at the people doing the seance. Yeah, and they're doing the writing thing. So like the guy next to her is reading it. We're not dead. We're not dead. Is that how she killed you? With a pillow. She didn't kill us. Children, if you're dead, why do you remain in this house? We're not dead. <gasps> why do you remain in this We're house? We're not dead. Not dead. We're not dead. We're not dead. We're not why dead. Why do you remain We're in this dead. house? We're not dead. We're not dead. We're not dead. It was so intense. I really liked it. They did a great job. If you didn't already think that that they were ghosts, Grace goes over and rips up the paper and then they do a cut where Grace is not there and the papers are just floating on their own. Yeah, they're just flying everywhere. Like, Grace, you're kind of proving them right right now. The medium says it. You were dead. Your mom smothered you. Killed herself. And it's very intense. 
the alive people are like, we need to fucking go. The mom is like, let's fucking go. And the dad's like, well, we don't even know these people yet. Maybe they're nice ghosts. Like, have they been nice the whole time you've been there? No, they've been acting crazy. They obviously don't want you there. They haven't done anything like untoward. Like they haven't tried to push someone down the stairs. They've just moved things. I feel like if Grace could see them, she would definitely try to push them down the stairs. I think that's the only reason it didn't. But like most things in life, the woman has good instincts and she's like, let's leave. Yeah, I'm glad they listened to her. She's like, this is ridiculous. I don't want to have to keep having seances to live in a house. Can we move? Our son Victor has been having nightmares like every day. He keeps seeing this little girl. Poor Anne. She just wanted to be friends. Very tragic. And then you get the sad, sad monologue where Nicole Kimmon has realized what has happened. I think it's really interesting that they like died without realizing it. So it was like no time passed for them. What did they think was happening though? Did they think mommy was just playing a weird game? I don't know because Grace says at first, I couldn't understand what the pillows were doing in my hands and why you didn't move. But then I knew it had happened. I killed my children. I got the rifle. I put it to my forehead and pulled the trigger. The interesting concept of like, as soon as she pulled the trigger in her ghostly mind, it wasn't like she died. It was like, like the gun didn't go off and she was confused. And then she heard her kids laughing and she was like, fuck, did I have a mental break and just think I did this and I didn't? I mean, I doubt she would have ran in and been like, hey kids, did I just suffocate you with some pillows? (laughs) Hey guys, what were you doing five minutes ago? Was it any part of a murder plan? So maybe she thought she had like a break or something and she's like, oh my God, I just imagined I did that. Thank God it didn't really happen and the kids probably weren't going to bring it up. Oh, she thought it was like she was dissociating so much that she thought she killed her kids and then kind of came back to reality. The kids think like they just woke up or something or maybe they didn't realize what was going on when they were being suffocated. At least Nicholas didn't because he was young. They woke up to find pillows and they were just like, let's have a pillow fight. Yeah. That's so depressing. Um, You also get the realization that Lydia is mute because when she realized that they were all dead and ghosts, she just stopped talking. That was why she's mute. So she can talk. She's just so upset about being dead that she doesn't talk. Yeah, because something so traumatic happened that she, yeah, she just stopped talking. Okay, that makes sense. So the fact that not only is she young, like she's probably in her teens and she's dead and she's never going to be able to see her family again. She's trapped there. Yeah, that's probably traumatizing enough to make you never want to talk again. I feel like they just didn't let that actress talk because they knew that they wouldn't have to pay her as much if she didn't have any lines. Like, we'll just work it into the script. 
Grace and the kids, they do have a, like, a conversation about where they think they are, and it pretty much ends with them being like, I don't know. Oh, yeah, she's like, where is Limbo then? And Grace is like, I don't know. Catholicism didn't teach me anything, apparently. I don't know where we are. But one thing they do know is that now that the kids are dead, they can go in the sun, so that's fun. The House of Darkness is now a house of light. Oh, that's kind of ironic. It's like, the house is dark and full of secrets, and then once they realize the truth, the house is light. Wow, look at all that symbolism. A figurative weight has been, like, lifted off of the house. So coming to terms with you being a ghost is a good thing. I think so. Is it good? Do you want to remember murdering your children? I feel like you should be punished for that for all of eternity. You shouldn't just be able to hang out with your kids some more. But then I guess that is, like, what is the afterlife? I don't know, and I I wake up in a cold sweat about it every night. Well, nobody knows. The movie pretty much ends with Nicole Kidman telling her kid, we're going to stay here and, you know, no one can make us leave. This house is ours. Pretty much makes a stance that they're going to stay there and haunt it. Shouldn't they be trying to figure out how to get to wherever their dad went? But maybe they're not that point in their death that they can do that. That's true. If they haven't been dead for more than like a couple weeks. So yeah, so the movie ends with the three of them standing in a window and it, and then you kind of pan down and see the little boy Victor staring up. So clearly he saw them or is seeing them. The family leaves and then you see a for sale sign on the gate and the movie ends. I hated that that was the last shot. I wish it would have ended just with like Victor looking up at those kids. Yeah, I didn't like that last shot either. I wish it would have just ended with them fading away. And then, like, pulling out in the house. Oh, yeah, when you can see him in the window. I don't know. I just, I hated the way it looked. Like, I feel like it almost would have been better if you would have had the whole scene with, like, the family, like, leaving, and then you see the for sale sign. But then you go back to the house and you see them in the window. The camera, like, pans back. They fade away and you get to see all the fog around the house again. So you get to see it from their perspective. And the movie ends. Right, like, the whole movie was so beautiful. And then that last shot was so ugly. It kind of took me out of it for a second. I mean, I guess the point is that they're gonna have to probably deal with living people again but i never thought they weren't gonna have to so right like i don't need it pounded into my head mills to make them realize what's happening is so that like next time they do have like living people come they can all just go about their normal lives and it's not this disruption between the living and the dead or they can all team up and create this huge ghost force and get them out even faster ghost force the new superhero movie but it's literally just these ghosts in the house causing a Do you have any insights or thoughts about where they are in the end? Like what kind of afterlife they're in? Oh, I just thought they're stuck in limbo. Anne literally says, where is limbo? And I shouted at the TV, you are in it. I guess the question is, do you think they're trapped forever? Maybe this is why Charles is there is that Charles is willing to let go. And so maybe that's why he's able to move on. Grace for sure doesn't doesn't want to move on. So that's maybe why they're going to be trapped there. I think that I would have more of an insight into this if in a lot of the haunted house stories that I am familiar with, they had made the house itself its own character. I don't know anything about where they are or why they are there because of that. I don't know if it's because of the house. I don't know if it's because just guilt is trapping Grace or if it's just like a she's so deep in denial that she literally forgot to be a ghost kind of thing. Until I can get past why they are there, I can't figure out where they 
they are. And I guess it is something where, you know, there aren't really any answers. Nobody knows anything. And just because, let's say, there is an afterlife doesn't mean you're going to understand it when you go to it. I do like the ambiguousness of, not of the house being sold, that's dumb, but the ambiguousness of their version of the afterlife. I have this thought all the time where I think, I could die at any second, and maybe my life will just keep going on and I won't even know. So I hated seeing that reflected in a movie. Like, you would keep living your life as if you thought it was still happening, but it's not like that? Or, how do I know that I haven't died and each time I die, I just go to another, like, alternate universe and keep living out that life and it just goes on forever and ever and ever? I like that version better. All right, well, that is uh, The Others. Let's do a horror struck rating. Uh, Riley, one to five. My horror struck rating is one to ten. Oh, that's right. Your general is one to five. I got them mixed up in my brain. It was a ten out of ten. Ten out of ten because of the existential crisis? No, it was a one. It wasn't scary. The only thing that scared me, the very first shot of Nicole Kidman just screaming in my face, and I just wasn't expecting it. Yeah, it's a one for me too. It's a very beautiful film. I think the atmospheric scares they do are good, but it doesn't scare me. And okay, I'm going to do this right. So general rating, one to five. What would you rate this movie? I give it a three. Okay. It was all right. I do really still love this movie. I would rate it, I'd probably rate it like a seven. But I think since this movie has come out, things like like Haunting and Bly have taken this and they've really, really flushed it out. I think that Mike Flanagan has completely ruined every other ghost story for me. I started with such a high bar that everything else I'm just like that was okay did it rip out my entire heart and stomp on it and spit on it no so it was only okay so Riley we are going to be doing a listener request next week would you like to, to talk about that? Oh, sure. So our friend Nathan is a contender for our number one fan. I'm pretty sure he has listened every single week since we started letting these episodes out. Yeah, I think it's probably Nathan and my Aunt Kathy. <laughs> They're in contention for number one fan. I think all of the people who listen to this are our number one fans. But I wanted to start with Nathan because he has requested several movies just over the course of us asking. So I asked him yesterday, what movie above all right now would you want us to cover? And he said he would like us to watch the 2018 remake of Suspiria. I don't know anything about this movie. I think you're really going to like the remake. I really like the remake. Um, I've seen both the original and the remake. Dario Argento, he is like a horror staple. Like I was even thinking before you said that, uh, before you told me what Nathan wanted us to watch, I was gonna probably pick an Argento for us to watch for my next pick. The only reason I even know that name and the name of this movie is because they reference it in Juno, which is one of my absolute favorite movies. But that is probably the only thing I know about it. I know Chloe... Grace Moretz is in the remake, and I know it's like a body horror movie, I think, according to Nathan, but that's all I've got. Yeah, I don't really want to say anything about it because I don't want to spoil it. I'm really excited to talk about the remake. I'm really excited to figure out what the hell this movie's about because I've seen it advertised a lot. We're going to have a lot of deep conversations. It'll be like a full, full episode of Charles talk. Good. That's what I need. I couldn't get out of my head during the other's talk. I just got sucked back into the movie. I was like, damn, I was really bored for a lot of this movie. All right. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Horrorstruck. 
If you want to hear more from us, you can go on over to Twitter or Instagram where we are at Pod, or you can head on over to Facebook where we are at Podcast. Alright, horror fans. Until next time, remember, stay spooky. Bye! Bye.